welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and on this week's episode, we have a live recording from SaaS Talk 19, which happened a couple of weeks ago. We had uh, 4,000 SaaS entrepreneurs from 60 different countries come to Dublin. One of those entrepreneurs was Eric Boduk, uh, co-founder and chief evangelist at Pendo. And uh, I'm sure you, you all know uh, uh, who Pendo are. Um, if you don't, you'll find out from uh, from Eric in this podcast. But it was a great conversation in the middle of the showroom floor on the on the podcast stage, where we really kind of talk about product rate growth and you know scaling uh, a, a massive company like Pendo and how Eric deals with uh, with that growth uh, personally. Um, it's a great listen. Um, I will leave you to uh, to listen to the podcast and uh, let us know if you've got any uh, any comments. If you liked it, um, we'll appreciate that. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, uh, Eric. Uh, how do you say it? Bod- Boduck. Boduck. Like Bo and then quack quack duck. Bo- you know? Boduck. Yeah. Um, uh, co-founder at Pendo. Uh, welcome, Eric. Thank you, I'm glad to be here, it's been fun. Yeah, so we're, we're at SaaS Talk 19, live at SaaS Talk 19. Uh, this is the first time that we've uh, had you in, in Dublin. I think we've, uh, we have Pendo sort of partnering with us for uh, a couple of years, but tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, uh, who you are, what your role is at Pendo, um, and uh, yeah, a little bit about Pendo as well. Sure, sure, so a uh, quick little overview of myself. Um, I'm an engineer by education, as it turns out, pretty funny. Uh, most of my career has been in marketing and product. Uh, haven't written a lot of code in oh, a couple decades, but that's aging. <laughs> Telling you how old I am, I guess. <laughs> One of the founders of Pendo started running marketing, took over kind of our community evangelism efforts, run a podcast called Product Love, where we interview product leaders. So that's kind of like a, a passion project of mine, uh, which has been really fun. Got to meet a ton of great people. Uh, through that, so really enjoy that and think it's really interesting because as a product person, I feel like I can connect with a lot of the audience about their problems, their issues, and I can connect with the people I'm interviewing too because I understand that, you know what they've been through. So I, I think it turns into some pretty good content, I think. So if you're out there and you're a product person, I invite you to check out Product Love. Um, and now with Pendo, I've also taken over another product line. We have a new product line called Pendo Adopt. Uh, which we're working in conjunction with our partners to provide end-user employee training. So it's like an extension of the guides you can build inside of Pendo to the end-user instance. So an AWS can customize how they teach their employees to use like a Marketo, uh, which is really important, really powerful, and a great way to deliver personalized software. When when was Pendo founded? Let's get some, uh, when was Pendo founded? How many co-founders? Where are you based? How much money have you raised? Uh, what's the size of the company now? Sure, sure. So Pendo is six years old in October. We just celebrated our, our six-year birthday, so to speak, uh, which is pretty exciting. We're now 375 people. There was four co-founders. We have our headquarters in good old Raleigh, North Carolina. So a little bit of that southern hospitality we bring to our brand. Uh, we also have offices in San Francisco, New York, London, Sheffield, and uh, we have an office in Israel. Um, and uh, like Pendo, the product itself. So you mentioned P- uh, Pendo Adopt. Uh, what was the first product? You know, what was the problem that it's solving? So we started the company because we're all product managers. So it was like we. It's just hard getting data on how our product's being used. You know, our options at smaller companies were really to call people, call customers up, and say, "What do you think? What are you liking? What are you using? What aren't you using?" 
not 100% accurate as you might guess. And as we grew into larger companies or ran larger companies or product at larger companies, we were able to grab engineers and be like, okay, we want to instrument this so we can understand what people are using because we don't trust those interviews, which as you know, are, are not exactly 100% accurate. But then in order to do that, we had to pull engineers off of core features, which is, you know, it's a hard decision to make. It's painful. You're like, oh, we can't deliver X, Y, Z because we're instrumenting product. It's tough. So we came together, you know, Todd and I first, and we're like, hate this problem. Todd was extremely passionate about it. He was just running product over at Raleigh Software. And we talked about it. We all had suffered through it, all four of us. And we're like, wouldn't it be great if we could capture usage information without having to use engineers? So as a product design principle right from the start, is like install a snippet of code that we give you, and then we'll capture all of your usage across your product, across all your users. So that's how Pendo started and then evolved into more of a complete product suite. As soon as we had that analytics data, that usage data, we're like, wouldn't it be great if we could guide users? We know they're struggling to say, set up a staging server. Wouldn't it be great if we could guide them inside the application on how to do that. So we created walkthrough guides for doing that. Then we're like, oh, in addition to this usage data, wouldn't it be great if we could capture sentiment, polls, NPS? So we added that component. Um, then we started and recently acquired a company called Feedback that allows you to capture, uh, categorize, store in what we call a library, user feedback. So you can close the loop, you can capture all the feedback and then you can close the loop back with the people who give you feedback when you launch that particular feature or announce that feature or that category of, uh, of functionality. So you've seen our product grow, but it's always been geared to product managers or to product people. We're always, they've been our target persona from the beginning. And it's really interesting, by doing that really well, we see the data that it generates, that the product organization generates at our, at our clients then being consumed by other parts of the organization. So CS wants to know how their product's being used because they have an upcoming call you know, with a client and they want to know, is the client healthy? Have they been using the product more you know, over the last three months? Uh, what features are or aren't they using? Where have they opened support tickets? Like, you know, what drove them to those support tickets? So all of a sudden this, this product data you know, can be consumed by the CS organization, the sales organization, so they know where to target upsells. Uh, the R&D organization so they know what's being used and maybe where they should allocate resources or reallocate resources away from, you know, parts of the product that need to be improved or maybe aren't you being used at all and you think about deprecating. So all this product data becomes so valuable to all these different departments in the company. So that's been really cool to see that evolve too. Would you consider, I mean, Pendo, like we're hearing a lot about you know, product-led growth. Uh, you know, are, you, are you a product-led growth company? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look at, I like to define product-led growth as using your product and your product data to retain, expand, or upsell customers and acquire new customers, right? So it's about using that information to try to grow more effectively. And it could be as simple as, hey, we have you know, a new product line, we understand what customers are likely to use it based upon usage habits, so let's give a list of those existing customers for our salespeople to sell the new product line to. It can be identifying like usage patterns that we can then go out to the marketplace and say, hey, new companies, we know you, you suffer the same problems that our existing customers suffer, we think Pendo would be a good fit for you. Or it can be just expansion you know, through things like shared dashboards. Like we have people sharing information from Pendo with board members who then look at it and like, oh, my other companies could use this. Wouldn't it be great if they could give me these same reports, the same information, so they take it to their report portfolio. There's lots of cool ways you can leverage product and product data you know, to grow through product-led growth. 
Are you, are you uh, would you say, uh, there are many ways to, I guess, coin this sort of term, but like uh, either eating your own dog food or eating at your own restaurant? So. Oh, ab absolutely, you have to, right? Yeah. Right from the beginning. I mentioned that staging server example, right? That was our problem. You know, we looked at the analytics and our users were having trouble setting up staging servers. So we're like, well, we should be able to guide them to it. So that's where we first built the guidance product now, what, five years or so ago, right? So we've been eating our own dog food right from the very beginning, continue to, you know, heavy users of Pendo as you might anticipate. Do you, do you think being like a product-led growth company, uh, has this been, uh, I guess, the, the, the kind of the key strategy towards your own growth uh, as a business? Yeah, I mean, definitely an important aspect to yeah. it. But I even think like product-led growth is just one aspect of being product-led. Yeah. You know, when you think about being product-led, it's like you have this, this great treasure trove of data once you implement something like Pendo or once you capture analytics and usage information and NPS and sentiment. And once you have that, you can empower all these other parts of the organization. You know, one of the things I, I love to talk about is how they can consume this product data to make their jobs better. So that's even taking this product-led growth concept and just making it product-led. Like, how can sales be better? How can marketing be better? I talked about CS. You know, think about it from a marketing standpoint. If you've just launched a new feature called feedback, which we did, right, and someone's now using it, you might want to share some thought leadership with them, saying like, hey, we just did a white paper that talks about how the top companies in the world are implementing their feedback policies you can download it right now. Like, you just click on the button, like, as you're in the app, once you've watched your program, we're like, next time you want to do this, right here, here's some thought leadership about, you know, how it could be better, how other people are doing it. Boom, click a button right in the app. Don't have to, like, try to reach these people through email. And now you're using the analytics, knowing that these people are users of your feedback, you're combining your content that you've already developed, and you're leveraging that inside, in the moment, in context, and delivering it where it should add a ton of value. Or even maybe it's at the beginning of that process, right? Before, when they click on first start, like, hey, by the way, we have a best, practice, best practices repository. See how you know, some of the best in class people are implementing feedback programs. And it can be delivered that way. So now all of a sudden, the product is like a medium. It's a channel for your marketing organization. Super, super powerful, right? Because you can reach people based upon personalized data and you can reach them in context. It's like a marketer's holy grail. It's awesome. Why, why do you think it's become such a massive thing now? Is it, is it now because we've like figured out how to use the, the technology and the, the products to, to this aspect to, you know, in, in a marketing kind of uh, capacity? Yeah, I think there's a lot of data that backs yeah. it up. Like you look at companies that are considered product-led, you know, that do a lot of experimentation like the Netflix of the world or the Atlassians of the world. And, you know, their customers love them. They've been growing, you know, in a way that's not expensive, so to speak. It's like sales and marketing cost for their growth has not been nearly as high as say maybe a, a very sales-oriented or marketing-oriented company would be. Uh, so there's a lot of people out in the marketplace that you can point to and say, wow, they've been very successful doing this. I think some of the bring your own you know, uh, device to work and influence on uh, consumer interfaces has affected this because you, know, you think about it this way, uh, if you have a, a horrible interface for enterprise software, customers now are like used to the iPhone interface, right? So on the enterprise, you got to deliver better experiences and better, part of better experiences is looking at things from a product lens. If, if you're a, an early stage company, um, let's say, you, you know, getting to your first sort of million in ARR, but uh, haven't really thought about being a product-led growth company, um, you know, to date, what, what sort of uh, things could, could these founders, you know, think about sort of now to, to be looking at to implement into their product, into their mindset. 
I mean, start building that layer of data because on top of that layer of data, you can do all kinds of things. And not to say like, you know, data is the be all end all. It needs to be taken in context. You need it to inform your decisions, right? Um, but start building as early as possible that layer of data, both quantitative data, usage, things like usage analytics, and, and uh, qualitative data, you know, things like NPS surveys, or even the, the superhuman survey about product market fit, or CSAT, there's lots of qualitative data uh, you can start capturing too. And, and by qualitative on the NPS side, I don't necessarily mean the score, I mean that uh, freeform feedback that you can capture, like we love the ease of use of this product, right? You can start categorizing that and get some really good data about it. And then you can start using that to segment and learn a lot more about your customer base. April Dunford, who just walked by, was you know gave a great talk about positioning, right? And if you have all of this data, you can learn a lot about who your happiest customers are and why, and how they look like each other. And it helps you position the product. It helps you take it to market. It helps you sell more. So I, I think start at that level, and then start thinking about how you can build product so that it virally expands, so to speak. Things like shareable dashboards are great, right? Because if you have one user that's creating these great dashboards for their own consumption, wouldn't it be great if they can share them via Slack, ideally, even via email, print them out, put them in board decks, you know, that kind of stuff. Whatever your product is, if you can build it so that you're sharing some of the outcomes you generate in the product with others that could then become customers or users, uh, both at the existing company they're at and at other companies, that's you know awesome way to think about, you know, thinking about the product-led movement. You, you, you mentioned one uh, well-known SaaS company, Atlassian, who a uh, bit of an outlier in that uh, product-led, uh, famously saying, you know, they don't have any sales uh, people. Um, like, so in your uh, opinion, um, as a product-led sort of growth company, um, do you think that is, uh, uh, I guess, kind of the right strategy that uh, for, for, for all, or like, how, how, how does? I mean, I, I think it's a little misleading, yeah. too. If there's no one that's following up on, you know, some of this business and expanding an account, I think, you know, they're twisting things a little bit yeah. in the last hand. But I do think they start out with, you know, a couple of uses here and there, and then they can go into a, a CFO, right, conjecture, yeah. and say like, hey, did you know there's 50 different people already using our product? Why don't you think about buying a site license, you know, and use, expand the usage to your whole company, or, or let's package it up and give you a better deal. So maybe they're not salespeople, maybe they're more follow-uppers, so to speak. Uh, but I think, and Brianne Kimmel does a great presentation, if, if the listeners out there have never heard her, uh, she does a great presentation about like, if you're too focused on being purely product-led and are anti-sales, you often hit this, this uh, stall point, right? Where it becomes evident you need salespeople to just you know, grease the skids, so to speak. Even if it's the case I talked about, like, hey, how do you expand into an enterprise license from these one-offs? Well, you go call someone, you have a salesperson follow up uh, on those leads and say, we should talk about how you can get better pricing and can use this and standardize this across your whole company. So I, I do think, I, I'm, I'm definitely not a proponent of saying my product's gonna sell everything, I never need salespeople, I don't need marketing, it markets itself. I think that's a recipe to, for disaster but in 99% of the companies out there, but I do think you know, it should be driven from your product, right? And then you can arm marketing with great information to personalize outreach. You can arm sales with great information. You can go into the CFO and say, we have 50 people and they're using it every single day or they're doing this with this, right? And this is the value it's giving you. It, the more you have that, you know, that product-led data, that product data, uh, the more powerful that sales and marketing organization is going to be. But I think you still need a sales and marketing organization. And why not, frankly? You know, as long as they're efficiently run, it should be just accelerating your growth. It should not be a hindrance to that growth. 
Can you can you share any insights into like the sales organization at Pendo? Then like. Uh, what does the structure look like um, in terms of, I guess, kind of SDRs, field execs, uh, you know, at, at your current current stage, sort of right now? Yeah. So I mean, we have SDRs um, that do a mix of outbound and just following up on inbound. Uh, we have a, a CS organization that helps out with expansion, looks for opportunities there. We have a, a tiered field organization uh, with three different tiers uh, that goes everything from you know strategic to enterprise to the, well, I think it's now called corporate and commercial, but it's strategic and then corporate and commercial. Okay, very cool. Uh, we always ask this final question, um, you know, how, how do our, uh, our guests stay healthy and sane on their their SaaS journey. Um, just curious to learn uh, what, what, what is your way? You know, I, I saw someone just <laughs> shared this question with me and I'm like, wow, I'm going to have to think about that. And then I totally <laughs> forgot about it. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's I'm not the best example. But I mean, I think you have to keep everything in perspective. You know, when you're building a company, there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows. I, I think it's really important that you don't get too excited about the highs and believe like everything you do is going to be perfect. Uh, because it's not, never will be. No one's going to, you know, do everything perfectly. Uh, and you know, your company is going to have warts, no matter what it is. There's going to be issues and things you need to solve always. So I don't think you should be super excited uh, about the highs. You need to keep, you know, your enthusiasm in check a little bit. And I don't think you should be super down about the lows because everyone's going to go through their challenges. You know, so you just got to keep an even keel. You know, keep that, keep the, your core values, your mission behind the company always in mind be consistent there. I think that's very important, especially in rapid scale. Uh, and just, you know, keep focused on the long-term goals and don't get too excited about, you know, the big, you know, wins. Not that you shouldn't celebrate them, because you should, but also don't get too depressed about the big losses. You know, keep that even keel, keep moving forward. And then personally, you know, get some sleep. Sleep's always a good thing. Definitely. You know, <laughs> you, <laughs> I do with some you make much better decisions yeah. if you get some sleep. Get some sleep, get some exercise, yeah. you know, have a life outside of work. Good stuff. All right, well, Eric Bodick, uh, you know, being an awesome guest. Thanks so much for Thank you. This joining is great. us on the SaaS Revolution Show. Thanks for listening to this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. Uh, if you are in Australasia, if you're in New Zealand or Australia, uh, as we commonly call it, Australasia. Um, we are running SASDOC Australasia in December, December the 3rd and the 4th. So we're bringing SASDOC down under. We are hosting 400 SAS entrepreneurs and their execs and the VC community there uh, in Sydney. Uh, it's gonna be the first day of workshops, uh, sales boot camps, marketing boot camps, customer success boot camps. Uh, and then a day of content and interactive uh, workshops and activities uh, at the conference on the main day. Um, come if you want to get your SaaS traction, growth or scale your SaaS business, meet with other SaaS entrepreneurs from the region. Um, generally, if you have a growth mindset and you want to learn uh, how to build a better SaaS company, uh, this is going to be the place to be. Uh, check it out, SaaS.Australasia. Um, and see you there on the 3rd or the 4th of December. <laughs>